0: Bible with me, if you will. Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. Where'd where'd Gabe go? Thank you, Gabe. Appreciate it, buddy. Proud of you. And uh, I wish I could do that. I want us to read uh, beginning in verse 41. Chapter 2, verse 41. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We began a few weeks ago talking about when the gospel went viral. And we're looking at, I'm going to study in the book of Acts through the months of the fall, through the fall months that are ahead of us. We're going to take a break in that series. Uh, There's several messages I've asked Jeremy to bring, and he's going to bring those on Sunday evenings as well. But when I'm preaching, we'll be in the book of Acts. we're looking at when the gospel went viral, and it connects with and it, uh, it runs parallel with our mission to celebration and what we're doing and how we want the gospel to go viral again. So let's just stop for a moment. In the first uh, two or three messages, we talked about the four things that the church was doing when the gospel came viral or when the gospel went viral. What, what was the first of those four? Do you remember? They were, they were waiting. They were waiting on God in prayer. What was the second of those things that they were doing? That They were what? That One of them was witnessing. Uh, they were witnessing. What, what was the third one? Maybe somebody said something. They were watching for Jesus to come. And then what was the last one? They were worshiping. So they were waiting. They were witnessing. Uh, they were watching for Jesus to come. And they were worshiping. And when the church gets back to those four main things, we're going to begin to see God moving in a way that we're going to see the gospel begin to spread in significant ways. Tonight, we're going to look at three particular things that are true of this early church that I hope and pray will be true of our church. Things that characterize this congregation. As you know, Acts chapter 2 is the sermon that Peter stood and he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Uh, They were baptized to profess their faith in the Lord Jesus. It had to have been a glorious day, don't you think? Can you imagine being there on that day? If there was any day that I would love to have been able to live in the past, this would have been the day. I would have loved to have seen this all unfolding in those moments as the Spirit of God baptized them into the body of Christ, as they were empowered by the Spirit of God, and Peter began to speak, and he began to preach the gospel. If you go through Acts chapter 2, you find the gospel, you find the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. All of that is in this gospel story that, that, uh, that Peter is preaching here. But when it comes to the end, and you now know how many people have responded and how many people have been baptized, it's, it's incredible. These three things that he says were characteristic of this congregation that I pray will be characteristic of of our congregation. The first is they were characterized by dedication. They they were characterized by dedication. In verse 42, it says again, and they continued, and here's the words, continued steadfastly, continued steadfastly. It's a translation of a single Greek word translated into two English words, And the purpose is to make sure that we understand that these people were dedicated to something and they stayed dedicated to it. This wasn't a passing fancy. This wasn't something that was for a few moments. It was fleeting and then it was gone. This was something to which they dedicated themselves over and over and over, day in and day out. They were dedicated. And so what was it that they were dedicated to? Well, first of all, they were dedicated to the Scriptures. They were dedicated to the Scriptures. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't have a New Testament like you and I have. They didn't even have a copy of their own. They didn't have their own copy of the Old Testament that they could carry home with them. They had the oral teachings that had come through the apostles and were being given to and handed down from the apostles to the people who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And They were dedicated to those teachings of the Word of God. One of the things that should characterize every New Testament church, I pray, characterizes our church is that we are dedicated to the Scripture, that at the heart of everything we do is the Bible, that we understand that we don't just gather for the sake of having a social gathering. We gather for the sake of hearing the Word of God and the the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. I read about a church. I don't know if this is true or not. I have trouble believing that this could be true. But it says that they wrote into their constitution these words, there will be no doctrine taught in this fellowship. I hope that that's not true. I can't imagine if you don't teach doctrine, that is the systematic teachings of the Word of God, where you take the Scripture, and thank God we have a completed New Testament, but where you take the uh, the, the Word of God and you systematically read it and you explain it and then you expound upon it and you apply it if you don't do that what do you do what is the hour that we spend together supposed to be centered around primarily worship absolutely one of the ways by the way worship doesn't end when the singing ends what we're doing right now is as much worship as when we were singing It's just a worship that's in a different fashion and in a different form. We're worshiping now by listening to the Word of God. But what do we do for the hour that we're gathered together? We we study the Word of God. We're dedicated to the Scriptures. And whether or not that particular statement is true and was actually written into the constitution of this new church that was founded, the fact is that it's an unwritten rule in many of our churches today. We just don't talk about doctrine. We don't talk about too much of the scripture we use the bible as a springboard to say something else that we want to say we use it as a means of taking us where we want to go and then going where we want to afterwards and leaving it behind we don't spend our time too often in too many of our churches studying the word of god i I hear i hear this all the time I, i honestly i do I hear it all the time from people who are going to different churches. They're not going to churches like ours. They're not going to our church. They're hearing it all the time. They say, we go to church and they want to talk about social justice. And they want to talk about various other kinds of social issues that are going on. And writing all of these social issues. And I just want to say to those people in those churches, you should just want the preaching of the word of God. There are there is a place for dealing with social issues. I understand that, but the core of what we do is we study the Word. Uh, Second Timothy chapter three says that, or chapter four says that, uh, the Scripture is given to us. Chapter three is given to us by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for what's the first thing? For doctrine. The word doctrine just means teaching. Teaching people what it says means the same thing here. Teaching what God says. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for us to dig into. I, I'm going to say something to you that maybe you'll agree with, maybe you won't agree with, but you want you to think about it before you, before you completely throw it out. Most of the problems, at least many of the problems that people have to deal with, if they baptize themselves in the Scripture... And in the teaching of Scripture, those problems would soon correct themselves. I'm not saying people don't need counselors. I'm not saying people don't need therapy. I'm not saying that there aren't some people who have clinical issues where they need medication. But I'm just telling you that a lot of the problems that we have to deal with are because people just don't know the Word of God. They just don't study it for themselves. It's just not getting into them, and therefore it's not coming out of them, and they're not living out the truths of Scripture. And this was a church that was dedicated to the Scriptures. They were dedicated uh, to the Scriptures. Uh, Paul told Timothy in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading. That's the public reading of the Bible. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine to doctrine. There it is again. You find the word over and over again because doctrine is absolutely essential. You say, well, let's just dumb it down to the least common denominator where it's just about Jesus. Well, look, I'm all about uniting around Jesus Christ, but we got to know who Jesus is. We got to know what Jesus did. We got to know why Jesus came. We've got to understand the purpose of Jesus for our lives. We've got to know what the scripture has to say about Jesus. You understand all of that is answered by doctrine, by the reading, uh, by the explanation of, by the application of the word of the living God. And This was a church that was dedicated to doctrine, to the scripture, to the teaching of the word of God. you are characterized by dedication. Not only to the scriptures, but they were characterized by dedication to the fellowship. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Again, the word is koinonia. And it's about the participation in the life of a church. Again, I want to say something to you that I hope you believe. I think you probably do or you wouldn't be here tonight. But you become like the people you fellowship with. You become like the people you fellowship with. Whoever it is, and I say fellowship, I'm not talking about just how much time you spend with them, but the people to whom you open up your life, the people to whom you make yourself available and they make themselves available to you so that there is a true communion that is going on amongst you. I can remember my mother saying, you better be careful about your friends. They'll either make you or break you. So you better choose carefully. Because those friends, whoever it ends up being, the people that you interact with and you have fellowship with on a consistent basis, what they are doing in essence is discipling you, and you're discipling them in something. It may be something that's around sports or education or some other means, and that's the fellowship, the deep fellowship you're having, and you're becoming more like those things all the time. When for the Christian, the deepest fellowship he or she should have is the fellowship that comes within the body of Christ. There is. Did you know that Jesus not only saved you from something, he saved you to something? He saved you from your sin, but he saved you to his people? Christianity is not what Americans have made it to be, some individualized gathering where I can do, I can do spiritual things and God things and all on my own and nobody else has to be with me. That's not Christianity. Christianity is where we gather together collectively as a body of people and we interact and we fellowship and we commune with one another. And I've got great news for you. If you look through the New Testament and you find the word koinonia, you study about fellowship, you discover that it, to many of those places where the fellowship was taking place there was food <laughs> you say why do you Baptists always have to have food every time you have fellowship well you're having food right now you're getting food right now sometimes it's the kind you put in your mouth and you take into your stomach but it's it's a part of the fellowship i'm glad to know that i feel more comfortable about eating now don't you Sitting at a table with somebody was considered a privilege and an honor. It was something where you were having more than just a a sit-down dinner with them. You were having fellowship together with them. And they were dedicated to the matter of fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, says that we're to provoke one another to good works. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. But what does he tell us in the middle of it? He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You're supposed to be provoking each other to love and to good works, but you can't do that if you don't gather together. You got to gather together. The people that you spend the greatest amount of time with opening up your life, making yourself vulnerable to them and them to you, that's the people that you're fellowshipping with. It might not be that you spend eight hours a day fellowshipping with people at work or uh, eight hours... uh, a day at, the, at school, fellowshipping with people because you don't open up to them, but wherever it is that you open up, you make yourself vulnerable to people and you get real and honest before them. That's a place where you have fellowship and you become like the people you fellowship with. That's why the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, right? Don't touch the unclean things. If your fellowship is with people that can pull you away from the Lord, you're going to be pulled away from him. You have to have that kind of fellowship that draws you closer to the Lord where the two of you are like iron sharpening iron, and the two of you are helping each other to grow deeper and fuller in your relationship to God. Again, that's why we need the church so much. I heard about a golfer that was 20 minutes late for his tea time on a Sunday morning. The other three guys that made up the foursome weren't happy about it because they'd been waiting. They were already supposed to have teed off. They were already supposed to have gone. And when he got there finally, 20 minutes late, they were upset with him. And they said, what in the world happened? And he said, I agreed with my wife that on this particular Sunday, I'd toss a coin to see whether I played golf or I went to church. Heads, I played golf, and tails, I went to church. And you know, guys, I had to toss that coin 43 times before it came up Heads. That's the way a lot of us think. As a matter of fact, there are people that will be at church next Sunday and their thoughts will only be about what time is he going to finish so I can get to my tea time. That's not the people that you're fellowshipping with then. Your mind has already gone somewhere else. You've already moved out to some other place. This is to be a place where we're dedicated to the scriptures, where we're dedicated to the fellowship with one another. You realize that I've never heard anybody complain and say, I'm going to give up sports they're not going to go to football games in the fall or baseball in the summer or basketball in the winter i've never heard anybody say that but i guess if they are if they're going to say that they could use some of these excuses at least 11 of them here's an excuse why they want to give up sports number one every time i went they asked for money Uh, go to a professional baseball game check that one out or a professional football game. Or number two, the people I sat next to didn't seem friendly. Did you see the shooting in the stands at one of the major league baseball games this past week? Or number three, the seats were too hard and not comfortable at all. You realize that uh, Brother Mike Holman used to take us every year to to a cincinnati's red game cincinnati reds game and every year we got the seats that were underneath the overhang so that we were in the shadow except for one year and we were sitting out in the sunshine we were baking in this he got the best seats he could get it's not his fault but uh, we were sitting out in the sunshine baking in the sunshine hey you know all of us were glad to be there win or lose prefer to win Or how about number five, the referees made decisions that I couldn't agree with. I'm just not going back there because they they made some decisions I didn't like out there on the field. Or how about number six, the game went into overtime and I was late getting home. Ever notice nobody ever complains about getting home late from a game? They moved the Friday night football games for the sake of heat, some of them a half an hour or more. I think they did a smart thing. I think they did a wise thing to do that. Did you ever hear anybody complain about getting home midnight, 12.30 from a football game? Or or how about this one? The band played numbers I'd never heard before, and it wasn't my style of music anyway. (laughs) Nobody stays away from sports for that reason. Or how about this one? It seems the games are always scheduled when I want to do other things. i got something else to do. I can't do that. Why do they schedule games when they schedule games? Don't they know that we have other things to do in life? Nobody ever complains about that. As a matter of fact, the, 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 most, of the, most of the time people just dump the church. Go, go to the game. I mean, nobody ever complains about the schedule of the ball games. Or How about number nine? I, I suspect that I was sitting next to some hypocrites. They came to see their friends, and they talked during the whole game. Can I just tell them? No. Okay. So let me show you who the man of the house is here. Last time we were at a Marshall football game, uh, we were sitting on the the good side with the backs in the chairs. Somebody had invited us to go with them. We're sitting there enjoying the game, moving the ball up and down the field, making touchdowns different times, making touchdowns. What's Mary doing? She's turned around like this, talking to everybody around her, talking to everybody around her. She didn't care a thing about what was going on in the football field. As a matter of fact, at one point she turned around, they just punted the ball away, and she said, what did they do that for? They had the ball. And I'm exaggerating a little bit about what she did, but she was there because it was a party. I mean, all these people, look at all these people I can talk to. She really wasn't interested in football at all. Or how about this one? Now, I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. I mean, we just went to so many games, I don't want to go to any more games. Or how about this one? I hate to wait in the traffic jam in the parking lot after the game. <laughs> uh, Mary and I would go downtown Atlanta. We'd go to a game uh, when we were young. We'd go to a game in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, and you parked in these garages. It's like you do at Cincinnati, but you park in the garages. And when the game let out, first of all, you, you, you took your life in your own hands because about half the people that were leaving had been drinking beer for so long that they probably couldn't see the road straight. But then you're just looking at taillights. You're just sitting there in the parking garage. You're not moving anywhere. Why don't they let our line go? Nobody ever complains about it at the ball game, right? They just go. The point is that we've got to quit making excuses. You're not the ones who make the excuses. But we've got to quit making excuses because they were dedicated to, to the Scripture. They were dedicated to fellowship. They were dedicated to a third thing. It says, in the breaking of bread, that's worship. Now, the breaking of bread in the New Testament can refer to one of two things. It can refer to a meal where they sat down together, they broke bread together, and they ate together. Or it can refer specifically to and particularly to the observance of the Lord's Supper. And probably most likely because these houses, these were houses they met in, somebody had a relatively large house, a large enough house to accommodate all the people who were a part of the church, and they gathered at that house. They would have a meal, and at the conclusion of that meal, they would often have the Lord's Supper. That would be a part of what they would do. They would break bread. But breaking bread here is a matter of worship. Every time we observe communion, aren't we worshiping the Lord? we're pondering the Savior. We're thinking about his brokenness, though not a bone of his body was broken. We're thinking about his brokenness. We're thinking about his blood that was shed for us. We're thinking about how our our lives need to be purified as we partake in this this meal. And that's true of every service that we celebrate together. We're, we're, We're committed and dedicated to worship. We're here to worship. I'm here to bow before him and to give him the honor of which he is deserving. And fourthly, they were dedicated to prayer. By the way, Christ was at the center of this church. He was at the center of this church. And this was a church that was characterized by dedication They continued steadfastly in the scripture, in fellowship, in worship, and in prayers, in prayers. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I love what John MacArthur says about prayer. He says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Did you hear that? I like that. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. And yet, how seldom do we pray when we gather as a church. And it's the one thing that everybody says, you know, do we really have to give more time to that? Do we really need that element in every service? The answer to that question is always What is the answer? It's always yes. You cannot pray too much in a church. Do you realize that in the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned 35 times? Is it any wonder why the church in the early New Testament was so successful, why God used them in such a significant way? They knew how to commune with God and they were dedicated to prayer. Look over at chapter 4. Look over at chapter 4. Look at verses 24 to 31. Listen to them. Peter and John have been taken under arrest. And what do you think they do? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go to God in prayer. Verse 24. So when they heard that, that is, that Peter and John have been arrested. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the heathens rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. By the way, do you see what he just said? They were in the, Jesus was in the hands of of Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and even the people of Israel, but they were only carrying out what God had already predetermined. Verse 29, now, look, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was, oh, man, I'd love to be there for that, shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Wouldn't that be cool if tonight while we were having our prayer time, we just were getting so real with God and calling out to him in such a way that the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence were to move and cause the building to start shaking. This church was a church that was characterized by by dedication. They were dedicated to the scriptures. They were dedicated to fellowship. They were dedicated to breaking bread of worship. They were dedicated to prayer, and they were praying. By the way, they weren't just praying at church. They were going to the temple, and they were gathering in the courtyards of the temple, and they were praying together in public ways as well. They weren't ashamed to pray in public ways as well. They were praying, and they were dedicated. We should be a church that's characterized by dedication, right? When we're waiting before God and we're witnessing to others, when we're watching for Jesus to come and we're worshiping him from the depths of our heart, we should be the kind of people demonstrating a dedication of of life and and very purpose to the scriptures, to prayer, to these other matters. There should be a dedication. Um, Do you see uh, the 21st century church becoming more dedicated or seemingly less dedicated i see the 21st century becoming less dedicated people being less dedicated fewer and fewer people understand the dedication that is required that god calls that god is deserving of receiving from his people the kind of dedication that says he's first He's first. Secondly, they were characterized by cooperation. They were characterized by cooperation. Do you realize that where God is at work in the church, not only do you find dedication, but you find cooperation? Look at verse 46 for a moment. He says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Hear it? In the temple. With one accord. See that phrase? That's not a Honda. He didn't say so continuing daily in a Honda. It's not what it says. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Not only was this church characterized by dedication, this church was characterized by cooperation, one accord. They were working together in unity. Do you know why when Ananias and Sapphira lied about selling a piece of property and that they were giving it all that God struck them dead? You know why? The reason is because it was a strike at the unity of the body of Christ. You realize that creating disunity amongst the body of Christ is a dangerous thing to do. This was a congregation characterized by cooperation. They were here in unity with one accord. There was a unity of faith. There was a unity of faith. Look at verse 44. Just back up a few verses. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed, they they, they were together. There was a unity of faith. There was a unity of caring. The things that they had, they were willing to sell if need be. Verse 45, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Please, that's not communism. That's not socialism. That's not the redistribution of wealth. That's the compassion of... Those early Christians for one another to help each other, even if it meant taking something that belonged to them and selling it so that they could be of benefit and blessing to somebody else. They had a unity of caring. Their actions were voluntary, their actions were something they wanted to do because they were concerned for other people. There was a unity of faith, and there was a unity of of caring, and there was a unity of purpose. Do you notice where they continue daily in one accord? It's in the temple. It's in the temple. Now they went to the temple sometimes to pray. They went to the temple sometimes to hear the teaching of the word of God. But they went to the temple because that's where the people are. And that's where you tell others about Jesus, and that's where you're able to witness. And they had a unity of purpose. Our purpose is to spread this message to as many people as we can, as quickly as we can, as far as we can. That's the responsibility that every believer, every church has. And they were cooperating with one another. All of us have known churches that fell apart because of disunity. We fight hard every single day, don't we, pastors? We fight hard every single day to protect the unity of the body, which is what Ephesians 4 tells us to do, to to protect the unity of the body of Christ. We fight hard for that. Why? Because we're supposed to be working together. And number three, and finally, they were characterized not only by dedication, not only by cooperation, they were characterized, and forgive me for doing this, but it's I'm trying to rhyme this so that you can remember some of these things. Why do you alliterate, Pastor? It's a memory tool. That's all it is. Why why do you try to find words that rhyme? Well, because it's a memory tool. Dedication, cooperation, and jubilation. That's a word you use every day, right? They were characterized by, by jubilation. There was joy in their faith. Look at the end of verse 46. They ate their food with what? gladness and simplicity of heart. You like that? With gladness. You know, um, everybody is a little different. Uh, I'm not real demonstrative when it comes to outward things in a worship service. Uh, You've never seen me run around the building. Um, You don't ever see me rolling up and down the aisle. I don't ever get so excited we jump over pews if we had chandeliers i've never i would never swing from one even if we had them just just wouldn't do that that's just not me i will raise my hand on occasion but not frequently and that's just not not me that's not who i am but as i tell those who join our church in our new members class i remind them that this kind of passion that we're talking about this kind of jubilation that we're talking about isn't just about the position of your body and what you're doing with the physical members of your body. This is about the attitude of your heart and that your heart be overflowing with gladness. Have you ever seen the Christian that looked like he just ate a green persimmon and his face is all drawn? Shouldn't we have a smile on our face? Shouldn't we try to be pleasant? Shouldn't we look friendly? Shouldn't there be seemingly a gladness we talk about this in staff meetings sometimes. We want everybody to take the few minutes before service begins and a few minutes after the service ends and don't just run off and don't run in early and don't, or run in late and run off early. Take a few minutes. Let people see the joy. Let's see, let, let people see the gladness. Uh, when you run off like that, it's like you're under conviction, you're trying to get out quick. There was joy in their faith. There was sincerity in their work. They had a singleness of heart, a singleness of heart. Singleness means a sincerity, or a sincerity of heart, as it says here. Simplicity, I should say, of heart. There was a sincerity to their work and to their work, and there was praise to their God. Look at verse 47 again, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now what happens? What happens when a church is characterized by dedication and characterized by cooperation and characterized by jubilation? What happens? Well, at the end of verse 47, it tells you, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you see it? The Lord was adding to that church. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church of dedication, we want to be a church of cooperation. We want to be a church of jubilation. We want to be the kind of church that God can use us for the gospel to go viral and spread everywhere. And everybody know that Jesus is alive and that Jesus saves.